Business has always been about turning a profit, making money. But can it stand for something more? Something beyond dollars and cents? We think so. We think that today, business has a higher calling, a purpose to be fair and just, to do right by their workers, customers, communities, and the environment. And it turns out companies successful doing that also do better for their bottom line. When you see the Just Capital seal, it means this company is a force for good. Visit JustCapital.com to learn more. Greg Lukianoff, who is also the CEO of an organization known as FIRE, the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression. Um, the new book is called The Canceling of the American Mind. The Coddling of the American Mind was fascinating because it recognized, I think it stemmed from actually an Atlantic piece, an essay, that then, and then grew into a book. Um, but it was basically, there's a, there's a, uh, a, there was a shift at a certain time in our in the recent uh, history where um, students who traditionally were the ones, the victims of censorship on college campuses, which is not necessarily, uh, you know, it's not unfathomable, where you have young people testing the waters, saying some things, and then, you know, the, the stodgy old administrators be like, you can't say that. And there's, you know, a debate ensues and there's some sort of, you know, over the line step there. But I guess there was a shift in that where all of a sudden the censorship started coming from the students. And uh, the two authors of The Coddling of the American Mind noticed and broke it down and talked about it. And then, of course, out of that comes cancel culture. And this idea that when somebody says something we don't like, we avoid a debate with them. We just shut them down and throw them in a gulag, uh, a figurative gulag, and make it so that they never get heard again. We stop other people from hearing them. Um, and so, and typical to the year 2023, some people don't even agree that cancel culture is a thing. They don't think it exists. Basically that it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's just, uh, ramifications for your actions. It's just the, the natural progression and reaction when you do something terrible. Um, my, my guest does not agree with that idea. He does think it exists, wrote a whole book about it. So joining me on the line right now, is Greg Lukinoff from, uh, the well, co-author of the book, but also from the CEO from the foundation for individual rights and expression. Greg, it's a privilege. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time, ever since coddling. Um, and I think maybe, I don't know, I think we maybe we need to start a little bit with that uh, because it kind of leaves the foundation for canceling of the American mind, if you don't mind. Um, well, I did actually want to ask one thing. Yeah. It, so this is Southern New England radio? Yes, sir. Do you sir. think Danbury, Connecticut listens to this? Uh, maybe. It's possible. Yeah, that's my hometown. So, oh, hi, sweet. So you're a New I, Englander. Nice. Cool. I, I worked in the mall and everything. Are you, <laughs> <laughs> are you uh, have you been to Rhode Island? Of course, or at least, yeah. One of my best friends from from, from Danbury that is now a teacher at Providence College. Oh, cool! So at least you've been through, right? I always ask oh, yeah, people, yeah. at least you've been through. You got to be at least through the place. Um, oh, I, and I worked as a cook on Block Island, by the way. For, oh, um, really? Where? Uh, Aldo's, and and then a, then another place. Um, I can't remember the name of it, and that was brief. I found maggots in the potato salad and had to get out. It's good I don't remember the name of this particular. Yeah, thank one. you for doing that. I appreciate. It. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's not like that anymore. It's fine yeah. now. Um, <laughs> Aldo's was great to be yes. clear. I, I mean, cool. this other place that I quit, the other place we don't know about. All right. Um, yeah. all right. So talk to me about the coddling of the, well, first of all, we should start off with fire, right? Um, mm-hmm. fire. I, I kind of said yesterday, maybe, maybe inaccurately that fire seemed almost to me like the ACLU for college campuses. Um, well, you, is that a, descri- a know, decent descriptor or no? You know, we, we used to be just focused on college campuses, mm-hmm. um, but now actually as of June 6th of last year, we decided to, we were originally the Foundation for Individual Rights and Education, mm-hmm. but we realized the situation had gotten so bad that we couldn't save academia without helping the rest of society, and we couldn't help the rest of society without saving academia, so we, we expanded beyond 
um, uh, just higher ed and rebranded as the foundation for individual, individual rights and expression. So we tripled the size of our litigation. We're, we did a, we're doing a ton of outreach to try to get, you know, um, the very large number of regular Americans who are still big supporters of free speech to know who we are and become part of our team. I'd imagine that the past couple though the events of October 7th have absolutely um, been, I, I would imagine, have have led to a bunch of different I, – how are you keeping uh, tabs on everything that's going on right now on college campuses and, and uh, you know, the ability to – you know, when, when things are, are horrible and, and, and scary as they were during the pandemic, that's when people yeah. start to get a little bit wonky on their commitment to free speech, right? Yeah, that that's normally the way it goes. Um, I mean, I started at fire right after 9-11. So all of my, I actually literally landed um, at the airport to find my apartment at 9, 10 a.m. on 9-11. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, absolutely crazy uh, period. One thing that does tend to happen on campus, at least, is when the threat to free speech is perceived from coming outside, they always suddenly rediscover freedom of speech. They um, circle the wagons and they'll, you know, claim McCarthyism and all this kind of stuff. And meanwhile, I want to be clear here. My first cases were defending people who said insensitive things about the attacks. And I, you know, I went up my, my first time um, uh, going on TV was defending a guy who was later convicted of, of having ties to terrorism. But the speech and, and the speech he had engaged in, unsurprisingly, was not all that sympathetic. Um, but, so fire is a genuinely nonpartisan group. And we, we put our money where our mouth is. So far, when it comes to students actually getting punished for what they say, we're not seeing anything like what we saw, say, after like in like in June of 2020, um, a- after the murder of George Floyd, um, even though as a civil liber- libertarian, I-, I saw, you know, that horrific incident as a possibility opening the possibility for like meaningful reform to make sure things like this doesn't happen again. Unfortunately, on campus, it was interpreted by some students and by some professors and administrators to sort of settle old scores and bring up old and sensitive things people had said ages before, you know, on uh, on uh, th- that might be considered, you know, under, under that circumstance, racially insensitive. Mm-hmm. So, so far, we're not seeing the, the, the kind of clampdown on free speech on campus. But what we what we are seeing is what we would still call cancel culture when, you know, you're creating blacklists of students, you know, that, that you won't hire because they hired a political statement. Well, we have an issue with that too. Now, of course, I think what you're saying is I don't want to work with somebody who thinks the Hamas attacks were great. I completely understand it, but I just want to caution the entire public for, for this. Like imagine a country in which you have a first amendment, right. Um, but uh, because your company both thinks of itself as a widget shop and an expressive organization, you can't actually say your real political opinion out loud. We think that would be, and and I don't think your listeners have to uh, try too hard to imagine this world because it started to sound like that's where we were going mm. in 2020 and 2021, just, you know, m- mostly the, the canceling was coming from the left. Um, and in this case, I, I, I want, I want people to take a you know take a breath and and think about um, old older ideas which we really emphasize in canceling of the American mind like everyone's entitled to their opinion not especially if but even if you think it's pretty terrible. All right, so let's let's start off a little bit with coddling the American mind because I think this the psychology and what was going on one of the, especially the parts that that you found um, with your own uh, your own uh, experience with mental health stuff. Yeah. Where, where you talked about how what we're doing to young people on college campuses is actually making them unwell. Uh, yes. can, you, can you expand on that a little bit so people can understand what the basis of this is, the kind of the foundation of this whole thing? 
Yeah, it takes it takes a little a little bit to explain, but I I got suicidally depressed back in two thousand seven um, when I was about there's a there's a profile about me in Politico where I, I I rehash some of the story that I that I first first revealed in Coddling the American Mind, which by the way my wife didn't even know you know like those levels of, of details. It was really the first time I talked about how bad it got, um, and as I was and and to be clear. Uh, the um, culture was a big part of it, like constantly being in a situation where, you know, you, you, you're, you know, I, I tend to live in left leaning uh, circles that, that um, they, you know, they'll love you when you're defending the left and hate you when you're defending the right. Meanwhile, when people, you know, people on the right at bars found out that I defended people who said insensitive things about the attacks, for example, you know, that could, that could lead to fistfights. So it was just exhausting being in the space all the time. And it reached a point where I was flat out suicidal. Like it was really bad. Mm. And as I was recovering, um, I studied cognitive behavioral therapy, which is the most, um, uh, the, the most re researched um, and successful intervention for anxiety and depression pretty much ever developed. And it's deceptively simple in what it tries to get you to do. It tries to get you to look at your own exaggerated thoughts, you know, the kind of thing that when you have a bad date that tells you this means you're going to die alone, mm -hmm. as opposed to that date wasn't so great. Um, and actually ask yourself, is this thought rational? Um, not is it positive thinking? It's, is it simply rational? Like, do like, is that the evidence I actually have? And you were taught to identify what are called cognitive distortions, which are simply like little mental exaggerations, like overgeneralizing, like catastrophizing, mind reading, th thinking you're, you're sure that that, you know, that person hated your guts, uh, 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 um, seeing the future, you know, that, that you're definitely going to be doomed. And uh, these are things that if you, with a lot, a lot of practice and training you can get your you can get your brain to be in the habit of actually not taking those voices in your head that are exaggerating you know the danger you're in or the harm that's mm -hmm. going to come to you as seriously mm -hmm. and meanwhile since i was defending free speech on campus i was looking around going like wow it seems kind of like campus administrators are constantly modeling cognitive distortions it seems like they're constantly telling younger people to catastrophize, to overgeneralize, to engage in emotional reasoning, you know, to assume, um, to assume the future is it, that they're doomed. But thank goodness students don't seem to be listening. And then around 2014, um, you know, when, when a lot of this really, uh, really became very noticeable, um, it students started showing up in large numbers on campus, uh, kind of agreeing with, with, the, with the administrators uh, and making medicalized justifications for deplatforming, for new speech codes, for microaggression policies that we spotted really early saying, listen, these new attitudes that students are bringing in um, are going to be a disaster, not just for free speech and academic freedom, uh, but also for a long term for mental health. And unfortunately, we ended up being really right on both um, the mental health downturn among, among young people we thought would be, you know, like a modest scholarly dip. And, and said it's been a complete free fall. Um, it, it's absolutely terrifying when you look at the current uh, state of mental health on on campus uh, and actually among young people, period. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned 20, I, 2014. Did something specific yeah. happen then? I mean, I, I know that that is usually kind of people talk about the smartphone. They talk about social media around that time. Is that what you're you're pointing towards? Or what do you think? It, what, 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 is there any way to determine what it was? 
Uh, well, you know, the book coddling is really, it, we give six different theories on why 2014, and we've added a, added a seventh since. But the simplest way to put it is Gen Z started hitting campus in large numbers. Mm. And my co-author on this new book is 23-year-old brilliant young woman, New York Post columnist, uh, Ricky Schlott. Mm -hmm. And she, when I, when I emphasize that 2014 is like really when the rest of the public noticed it and we noticed it on campus, what we noticed cancel culture in this case I'm talking about, mm -hmm. she always makes the point that, well, that, I think that's, that, that's the year that the rest of the country noticed it, but I grew up with it. I, you know, like a lot of these tactics for shunning and making sure that people are persona non grata um, and otherwise trying to pressure them into shutting up or otherwise making their lives miserable was something that uh, I, was part of a kind of virtue signaling slash bullying that was already very present among young people. Mm. Um, th thanks to smartphones, thanks to social media. Um, you know, it, as soon as you pass your first anti-bullying policy, some socially intelligent student was like, oh, so I, if I'm going to bully someone, I have to accuse them of being the bully now. Right, um, right. And uh, and I think that in a very real sense, there are these we call these ways of winning arguments without actually winning arguments mm -hmm. that to, to just scare people into pretending they agree with you or that or or just to uh, get them shut up uh, that these tactics were already very present in junior high school and high school. And that means, frankly, I think the entire country now is arguing like a giant junior high school. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. <laughs> <laughs> when you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. I was uh, about halfway through the book. We got uh, you guys sent me a PDF of it last. Uh, I'm not a quick. I'm not a quick reader, so <laughs> it takes me a while. But I uh, I was reading it over the weekend, and I'm about I'm about halfway through, and I was le reading through some of the argumentation uh, presentations that you offer up, and talking about the way, and I've and I've been guilty of them. I'm reading them. I go, oh, I, I've done that, and I've done that. So it's become you know, and I'm I tend to be a right leaning person. Um, but it's just become the way we debate now, right? Doing yeah. these different tactics and different things. And I said, I, I'm looking at it, I'm looking at myself in the mirror going, damn, I've done this. Uh, I've definitely participated in that. Cause sometimes you get, you know, from my end, I get exhausted by arguing all the time. So if I'm in my sure. personal life, I'm like, I can end this right now. I'll just use this little trick and then be, we can be done with it. And I can not have to deal with this anymore. Um, so it's, it's part of our culture and it's really yeah. hard uh, especially the, the 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 time we're in to not use some of these, you know, like like basically writing people off because of who they are, right? It's like, oh, you're a mm -hmm. liberal. I don't want to talk to you. Um, you know, you you did this. You're, you're you know whatever. I'm I'm not interested in you. And that's kind of um, it's a dangerous thing because we can't talk to each other. If we can't talk to each other, when you talk to each other, there's peace or potential for peace. When there's yeah. when you don't talk to each other, that's when things go sideways. Oh, no. And we're in that that place now. So. You know the kids thing is really interesting to me because when I was when I you know I've I've seen your you do interviews of your Jonathan Haidt talk about this you know, your book coddling for a long time, and what we, I say on the show all the time I've been moaning on this show all the time that we find safety and comfort to be the highest values in America today, when before it used to be individual rights, freedom, the ability to explore achievement. Now it seems like we raise up victimhood, affliction, mm -hmm. and and weakness. 
Um, yeah. And and it's not good. And when children are protected, I was at a meeting last night from a local committee that I'm on in my school, and they're, every parent there is talking about how to prevent their kids from feeling bad feelings. Oh. And I'm sitting there with my head in my hands going, my God, this is why they're weak. You need to yeah. go through difficult things to be strong enough to deal with the world. Is it, in your opinion, that's the manifestation of what we're seeing on college campuses, that these kids have had all the rounded edges of the world smoothed off for them, and so they just want to continue that, right? It's not just that. Okay. It, it, it's something that, that parents are doing and also K-12 teachers are doing and a lot of people that, that, that you know, influential people in, in their spheres, you know, growing up are doing, which is not just making, you know, rounding off the edges. It's implicitly telling students that they are fragile and that, that if they encounter things that are difficult, you won't survive and that you need your parents or you need an authority to actually get through life. Mm. And when you say it from the, just the, the, the and I'm, I'm a parent too, and believe me, like I'm an, and to be clear, I'm an anxious parent. Um, and and I, 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 I totally own that uh, in myself. So, me too. And, so and I try I, to I, fight it as much as possible. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I fight it as much as possible. Um, and if you say it one way, it sounds very compassionate. Oh, I'm just trying to keep my kid from getting hurt, man. You know, I can't watch, they bear to watch him or her suffer. You know, like, like the, it, it sounds like it, it's on a superficial level, kind of what a nice person would do. But when you think about the message you're actually conveying to your kid, which I, I, I think about like an Olympic diver, mm-hmm. you know, going, uh, I, I've always wanted to do a commercial like this, an Olympic diver, you know, at the very top of like the highest dive uh, diving board. And you, her mother comes up the, uh, comes up the ladder, whispers into her head, listen, dear, I don't think you can do this. Um, you're, and by the way, you're going to be permanently damaged by the humiliation of not being able to do this. Um, you know, I, I think you should really defer to me before making any of these kind of decisions. You know, have a good day and then climbing <laughs> back down and being like, yeah. that's the message we're giving to kids. And yeah. because kids need need and young people, actually, for that matter, adults, they, they need what's called in psychology self-efficacy. Like, I mean, for me, like that was, by the way, working as a cook on Block Island, working at the Burlington Coat Factory, the, the North Street Shopping Mall, you know, or, or Sparrows, or all these things that I did since I was 11 gave me superpowers when I got to college, mm-hmm. you know, because it was just like, I could live on my own forever at that point. And, I, and, and seeing kids who grew up without experiences, um, they, they felt very disempowered, which, by the way, was what I wanted to call coddling in the American mind. Because I want to be clear, I'm not saying these kids are spoiled. Let's all point it at them. I'm saying we're doing this, these kids a tremendous disservice and tricking ourselves into believing we're helping them. And then they get that, they get influence and power on a college campus, right? Yeah. And then they use it to, I would assume they think that they're doing good. They do. They think that they're stopping the world from having, because they've been told that, you know, words are violence and that silence yep. is violence. So I don't know where you, I don't know the logical uh, conclusion there. Silence is violence and so is <laughs> words. So I don't know. <laughs> and, I, you know, I can't imagine anybody's ever been really punched in the face, you know, can say that words are violence, but you know, oh, man, if they yeah, haven't been, no, right? I, yeah, uh, I, I, bring, I bring that up a lot, and I've been punched in the face a fair amount. Right. So, I mean, you, you, nobody, nobody's ever been really punched in the face can say the words of violence because it's just so <laughs> yeah. absurd. It's it's and shocking. Um, but anyway, but the idea of that is just so. Uh, but then when they get power on a college campus, they then want to use it, and it's amazing to me the adults that are willing to capitulate to that. It seems that yeah. you know, kids can come up with all sorts of crazy things, and it always seemed that to me that adults have been around to go. Yeah, it's cute. No, 
sorry, that's not the way we do things. I know you're mad, yeah. but go be mad over there, and it'll be fine, and we'll see you tomorrow. Um, yeah, no, they're all gone. And, and, yeah, and 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 it's and it's worse than that. They're not just capitulating to it. Um, administrators, at least some administrators, are out and out encouraging this. I mean, one of the things that people don't get about what we what we said in coddling the American mind is not that for most of my career, administrators were the bad guys when it came to free speech um, and the uh, the ones you know bringing up students on charges and uh, getting professors in trouble for what they said. And then suddenly it was just the students. No, what's actually going on here is in particularly in a lot of these elite college cases, it's administrators, some administrators working with students, encouraging students to be angry at professors, to organize even shout downs like we saw at Stanford, my, my, my law school alma mater, where a Fifth Circuit judge, which I always stress because that's one level below the Supreme Court. Yeah, you mentioned in the book, fifth, too. Yeah, it's the story in the yeah. book is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. About a fifth of the class shows up to shout down a Fifth Circuit judge. Um, they'd been meeting with administrators for hours beforehand. Ten minutes in, like clockwork, um, an administrator, a DEI administrator gets up and unfolds a speech you know uh she has a prepared she has prepared remarks in front of her mm -hmm. and it's a seven minute talk so um about how you know is free speech is the juice of free speech really worth the squeeze you know like um and and chastising this judge for coming here and causing so much pain and and it's like i Stanford has had conservative judges speak there all the time. The mm -hmm. only people calling causing students pain are the people who organized, you know, this shoutdown um, to express, by the way, and this is something they don't own at all, a very popular point of view at the law school and and uh, and treating the conservative students who who invited them um, like they're pariahs. So, you know, they put their pictures up on posters, which, by the way, they can do. Um, the, the the students who didn't want Kyle Duncan there. They put the pictures of, of, of students uh, from the Federal Society who invited them up on posters and put their names underneath it. Um, not a tactic I love, but it is one of these things when you watch some of the response to the um, some of the positive reception that the mass attacks received on campus when there are groups, you know, putting pictures of students up there and suddenly they get like, wow, that's 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 mean like that. that that's that's really scary that you did that. And I'm like, well, you got to remember, guys, like uh, in a lot of other cases, this has been situation normal you just don't like it when it's directed at you right well i mean that's one of the things too we're talking to greg lukinoff by the way author of the co-author of the new book called the canceling of the american mind i want to get into we're going to take a break in just about a minute or two here real quick but i wanted to get into the idea that people think that this stuff is not really happening like the cancellation Boy, thing is, is yeah. kind of just a reaction to it's like hey listen this is just uh consequences for actions you know it's free speech equaling more free speech um yeah do you have like a minute response to that and we can get into it after the break yeah, the whole consequence culture, accountability culture um, argument usually just tells me that someone doesn't know a lot about the topic. Um, they assume that everybody who got canceled has it coming and they don't want to bother to even look into the into the issue. Because really, like, it's what begging the question means. Begging the question, even though it usually gets, uh, uh, you know, the way people use it is it presents the question. What it really, what begging the question means is an answer that actually assumes the premise to be true. So, like, you're assuming that someone needs to be held accountable for something, which means you're saying that it's justified, it's baked in. Um, but it, but, but that's exactly what um, people would argue is happening to some of these students who signed 
you know, these uh, th these uh, pro attack statements, you know, when, th when they're getting put on blacklists, you know, like on, on the right now they're, that they're saying, well, that's that's consequence culture, that, that's accountability culture. And of course, when you're actually the one who's the victim of it, you, you, you don't see it that way. So it was always a flippant response to not have to take this issue seriously, no matter how much evidence has piled up over the years. It's one of those strange things, especially happened a lot during the pandemic when you would I mean, we're talking public health officials, people are paid before with taxpayer dollars who are supposed to be yeah. experts shepherding things through. And you'd ask them a question about the scientific veracity of their prescriptions. And they'd say, uh, I'm not going to talk about that. That's conspiracy. I'm not going to talk about that. That's not scientific. I'm not going to talk about that. Like, what do you mean you're not going to talk about it? You have to you should have to argue these points with people. Greg, hold on one second for me. Gotta take a take a quick break. When we come back. Greg Lukinoff, the book is called The Canceling of the American Mind. We'll pick up uh, from there with with him when we come back. We'll talk about the cancel culture out there, what to do about it, um, you know, where it is, how it how it manifests itself, how to spot it, and then the solution to the problem as it exists both on college campuses and around. Uh, everywhere else. We'll take your uh, calls. Come up after the top of the hour. Stay right there. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. <laughs> when you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. We've been talking about cancellation, and we were talking right before the break. We were mentioned, talking about the pandemic, which was was something else. And uh, Greg, I will never be the same after this pandemic and what went on uh, in terms of the control of speech, the refusal for people in, in authority positions who are supposed to be scientifically minded to de to allow debate, to debate. Um, and one of the things that you mentioned in your book in chapter six, the rhetorical fortress, I think is really interesting. And it's it talks about all the different parts of the rhetorical fortress. I think this is more this tends to be more on the on the ideological left when it comes to shutting down speech. And, and they talk about the identity of the speaker. Right. The conservative is he conservative. Is he uh, you know, what's their race? What's this? If you can if you can find a, an attribute that you've determined gives a person some sort of negative connotation then you can just shut them off and not have to listen to any of their arguments. That was happening during the pandemic all the time. If you weren't a scientist, if you weren't a certain type of scientist, if you weren't a public health official, then you were just automatically shut off. Any questions, you never had to be convinced, you never had to be argued with. You just had to be told what to do. And to me, that was, I mean, it was, it, it's corroded, I think, our public discourse and our public trust. Yes. No, no, I agree. And that that's actually one of the major themes of the book. It's one of the reasons why we mentioned trust right in the subtitle, mm. because I think that people can, even though cancel culture is extremely widespread, there are people who, you know, work in businesses where they can say, you know, even somewhat probably pretty honestly that they, they have no fear of being canceled, mm. um, that, that, that essentially they're cancel proof. Now, I think there are a lot of people think that and don't realize that they're wrong. Um, but but nonetheless, some people can rightfully think that. What they don't seem to get, though, is that cancel culture harms the whole country in a way that is actually really quite profound. And that's that it makes people rightfully skeptical of authority. So I'll give the example of your neighbors to the north, um, Harvard, uh, where a professor named Carol Hooven, um, you know, uh, was forced out, you know, left the school um, after 
Uh, she went on actually Fox News to talk about her book Testosterone. Mm -hmm. um, it was she's an evolutionary biologist. She um, and she made the argument that we should be uh, kind and compassionate and thoughtful to trans people. Even we should use their pronouns. But biological sex is real, and we deny that kind of like at science's peril. Um, and immediately, a DEI administrator, you know, expressed you know how outraged uh, he or she was at this, um, and. A student started signing petitions, you know, to get her punished in some way. Um, I, I, I'm not sure if they said ex, uh, fired, but they very often they do. Mm -hmm. um, and friends abandoned her. You know, very few people were willing to speak up on her behalf. And she actually got, you know, suicidally depressed. Like she, she started having like suicidal ideation for the first time in her life, which if you know Carol, you're kind of like, that seems, you know, like, wow, like you are a strong person. And so, you know, she's now leaving um after that you know experience now that's a tragedy in its own right like that's a sad story but think about what that does to faith and expertise and this happened all the time in covid as well uh where the public's not stupid and and they look to the expert class and they see that the last time a person argued that biological sex is real um and is clearly real uh, she got canceled so the next time, you know, Scientific American comes out with a paper saying, actually, biological sex, just like gender, is a spectrum. They're going to go, OK, but would you even tell me if you didn't think that? Like, mm -hmm. I, you're going to claim that you came to this entirely on your own. But given that there, there's light, there's ruinous uh, consequences to actually taking the other position, I'm going to be a little skeptical here because you can't because I know you can't be objective on this stuff. And that's what happens just once. And we talk about, you know, over a thousand attempts to get uh, to get professors punished in some way, you know, since cancel culture began, and it just destroys people's faith and expertise. And that's bad, because then we don't have shared facts. And we have a whole chapter on COVID, because how much COVID kind of by itself did to undermine people's faith and experts, uh, and how much cancel culture during COVID made it even worse is something that everybody needs to appreciate. I would I would uh, I would alter that and edit that statement a little bit more a little bit and I'd say what the experts did during COVID to <laughs> I know what you mean but like the, to be more specific what the experts did during COVID to undermine themselves and what they did it's really they did it to themselves they didn't allow they for did, debate they did to themselves to a, to to a degree but I but I think about some of my you know very well educated um, uh, you know friends that I went to law school with who when someone would say the lab leak theory mm -hmm. kind of like early like very early in COVID, sure. being kind of like huh you know there's a there's a virology lab right there like and, and uh it seems kind of coincidental that, that this happened right there and would respond to any suggestion that it could be something other than the the, the story that the chinese government was coming out with <laughs> as if it was blasphemy and we knew for certain it couldn't possibly be that and meanwhile do i know if there was a lab leak i don't um, but one thing I can say for sure is nobody knew that right. in April or March 2020, and everybody knew nobody knew that. It wasn't like there had been some massive gold medal investigation that went to Wuhan to figure out what actually happened there. We all knew that didn't actually happen. Right. So just by being so arrogant, so, so epistemically, being so intellectually arrogant, they um, undermined the, their own credibility. And in this case, it wasn't necessarily experts. It was just people who, who assumed that the official line had to be true, which is weird that educated people just um, sometimes, depending on who's in power, just immediately assume. Well, I, th I think the constant stream, the constant stream of fear 
makes people's brains yes. scramble, right? I mean, we're constantly being manipulated by fear on social media, on the news, on all that stuff. Absolutely. And during that time, it was just the height of it. And so I, I think there's really, and I think Jonathan Haidt actually studies this, basically, that when you are, um, there's a part of your underlying disposition, it's like a genetic thing where basically, you know, like your lizard brain takes over when you're, especially when it comes to a threat, like a like a biological threat like that, you're, you're almost yep. running on a, on, a, on a system that you can't even consciously control. Um, yeah, your, your amygdala uh, yeah. Uh, fires off like crazy. Yeah, and, it's and just, people took hu- huge advantage of this during during COVID. Sure. Now, you know what's funny? You mentioned this woman, uh, the, the the teacher at Harvard, the professor at Harvard who was canceled. There, I think the mother of all cancellations, and probably the one that should scared should have scared everybody if they didn't knew about it, was Brett Weinstein at Evergreen. That oh, yeah. is the the. I mean, do, is that the worst one you've ever seen? Um. That's a big question. I've been doing this 22 years and I've seen thousands of examples. I'm not sure I could really say one was the absolute worst. In terms of a campus completely losing it, probably. Um, but in terms of uh, what you're canceled for, uh, I mean, every day, uh, you'd think I'd be doing, after defending a free speech and academic freedom on campus for 22 years, you would think nothing could shock me anymore. Mm. But pretty much, you know, at least every week at work, I'm shocked by something new. What's the, what's the one this week? Give me an example. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're busy promoting the book. I didn't see it yet, but I'm just, but think of one that's recently. What's the one that's that's gone like, like, holy crap? Or maybe you're just an eternal optimist, so you get perpetually shocked because <laughs> you refuse yeah. you refuse to be jaded. But, I mean, that well, the, I'm, I'm, Evergreen I'm gonna, is I'm insane. I'm going to give one that, that actually you know, comes from the right. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Governor DeSantis saying that you, uh, uh, that you need to de-recognize all the students for justice in Palestine um, at, at Florida public colleges. Um, any any um, group that's affiliated with it uh, under the allegation that SPJ, you know, supports terrorism, um, like material supports terrorism. And, of course, that's a really serious charge that you have to actually prove. And if you can't actually prove it, then there's case point, there's a case directly on point saying that you can't actually de-recognize, you can't make a public university de-recognize a group because you don't like the national it's affiliated from. It's actually, by the way, a, a, a decision that comes from uh, Connecticut College, um, uh, Connecticut State University. It, 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 it comes from a college in Connecticut, um, a decision that goes back to 1972. On the other side, um, a case that, I, that uh, I, I'm having some I'm kind of amused by at the moment is people claiming cancel culture at a, um, at a college, I believe in California, where a uh, professor was uh, giving extra credit only to people who watched a pro-Palestinian movie and wrote their senator or attended a pro-Palestinian march Jeez. and it's like no no that's you're not that's an abuse of power like we've seen this happen a lot of times particularly in schools in california where they'll offer a a grade uh, you know a, a grade enhancement to people who would there's the one fabulous case back from the iraq war um saying that you you will get extra credit if you write a letter to your congressperson um, condemning the Iraq War, and a student specifically came up and asked, "It's like, what if I, what if I write one, one saying that I, I, I support the Iraq War? It's like no extra credit." And I'm like, Jeez. "Okay, that doesn't, that's not, that's not sounding off any alarm bells with you. That that's complete inappropriately, uh, inappropriate use of your power." Um, and of course, for some people, the answer is, "Well, no." Now that is illegal. 
that's com that's not illegal, but it is it is considered to be an abuse of power, unprofessional and compelled speech. Like basically, it's one of those things. I'm not sure you could win a lawsuit against that professor, but in a healthier society, that professor would at minimum face discipline for that. Right. So talk to me about the solutions here, because, you know, one of the best part about the book is that you say what we can do about it. And I like to have solutions to this whole thing, because I don't it, This seems the, one of the things that shocks me about all this, honestly, is the speed with which it seems to have come up. I have. Yeah. I, it's like I always say when things go downhill, they start going downhill fast. And yeah. I stupidly, I thought free speech was the way of the land. No American growing up in America could ever be against free speech. And and even though and I I struggle with it all the time, where there's people who say things I find so reprehensible, I'm like, ah, they should they have a right to cert. You know, you know, you're just, <laughs> you just like you wish you didn't. I like to stuff them in a box, but no, I can't do that. They got to talk. You know, you've seen. A lot of demented things in the world, and you have to let it go, and because otherwise it, they're coming for you next. So yeah. it's difficult. But I never thought we'd get to the place where college kids would be. When I was in college, we protest everything. You know, yeah. they didn't like the menu at the the dining hall. It was like a walkout, right, right. You know, nowadays, <laughs> you know, anything infringing freedom, anything, nothing like that. We would we'd go out there, we'd be ready to push back. In college now, they can't wait for restrictions. I was shocked yeah. during the pandemic that they were like, okay, give us the injection, make us wear masks forever and, and stay home and all this. I'm like, these are young people. I was waiting for them to take to the streets. Nothing. So yeah. I, it's just, it happens so fast. So how the hell do we turn this around? Well, I have a piece that just came out this morning in the National Review talking about how there's been some movement by donors utterly horrified by sort of the pro-Hamas sentiment um, coming out of some students you know, saying that they, you know, won't get, they won't donate to these schools. Um, and in some cases they're saying things like, unless you condemn the Hamas attacks. And I'm like, no, no, don't think that small in terms of like the reform that needs to happen. Like that, if it, that essentially, oh, do this one thing and we're, and, and we're fine. No, that is not the way people should be thinking at this point. We should be thinking about entirely different ways of educating younger people from K through 12 all the way up to higher education. And I think that if all the Jewish students who currently feel like their schools are hostile environments for them decided to go to University of Texas at Austin, the new experimental school down in Austin, Texas, that's trying to be a true liberal arts college that protects free speech and academic freedom, that would send a message. I think if all of them donated instead to, you know, fires campus free speech ranking, which, by the way, Harvard finished dead last in. And, and that's yeah. not that, that's not our judgment. That's actually 13 different factors that we did the largest study, you know, ever conducted. Yeah, I want to talk. I, I want to talk about that for a second. I want to talk about how you did that. Just right. I just want to break in real quick with some breaking news for people out there who are paying attention to this. Mike Johnson, uh, GOP rep from Louisiana just seems to be a, a elected Speaker of the House. So now we have a Speaker of the House. So I want to make sure everybody who's been following that story knows that. But yeah, that's go, a relief. Yeah, we now have a Speaker of the House, evidently. Um, yeah. So I, I, I li I, I'm three blocks away from the Capitol, by the way. And, Do you hear uh, clapping? I, 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 what's that? <laughs> Are you hearing clapping in the in the distance? Because <laughs> they seem to have like, elected a speaker. It's one of those things like you really didn't have a plan going into this guy. No, there's no plan. You know, it's what you hear on all over the city. We should definitely, um, but, we should definitely give all these people as much influence over our money and our lives as possible, right? <laughs> we should, it's always a good idea. But yeah. So we yeah. representative Mike Johnson evidently is now seems to have all the votes for speaker that he needs. It doesn't seem there's anybody dissent. The Republicans all lined up, so he's got two hundred. Well, like there's anything important going on that yeah. we should be doing in Congress <laughs> right now. Yeah. So, so anyway, back to the to the idea. Harvard dead last when it comes to your free speech and free expression on campus as what I've, and I've seen you talk about this in interviews they got negative 
They get lower yeah. than zero. How did that happen? Yeah. Well, uh, basically, we, we set up this. Uh, so first of all, we have the largest database of professor cancellations, the large of uh, student cancellations, of deplatforming, um, and of the students uh, and speech codes. Uh, in addition to that, we also did the largest survey ever conducted, ever conducted, of uh, student opinion on whether or not that their schools are good for free speech. Like, can you disagree with each other? Can you disagree with your professors? Or alternatively, is violence okay in response to speech? And shocking numbers of people, particularly at, at places like Oberlin, actually are, are sort of like, kinda, maybe sometimes. Jeez. Um, the and. What we do is uh, we, we refine it every year. So large, originally we based it largely on just the student polling. But since our our, our, our professor database has become uh, far more comprehensive and our deplatforming database, we give my, pluses and minuses if you handle a controversy well. Or, for example, you get a big minus if you fire a tenured professor, you know, mm -hmm. because of their opinion, which does unfortunately happen, particularly at elite schools. Um, and so basically they did badly by every measure but they had enough of the of the other negative scores to put them at a negative 10.69 but that we didn't count them as a negative 10.69 we rounded up to zero um which still placed them dead last jeez and it, and sec and so the the final the final actually I'll, I'll tell you the final four we did 248 schools um the only elite colleges that did particularly well were university of virginia and university of chicago which aren't, shouldn't be huge huge surprises uh, but a lot of technical colleges actually did quite well science seems to protect you a little bit from some of this stuff um but the the, the bottom four harvard by a lot um what was last followed by university of pennsylvania followed by georgetown Followed by University of South Carolina, mm. um, which which was interesting. And that's the thing about I wasn't expecting Harvard to finish dead last. If anything, I, I feel like it, in many ways, at least between the law schools, Harvard Law School does better than Yale and Stanford has been doing lately. But when you when you put all the all the data together, it's like, yeah, actually, they're they're they, they deserve their last place. Do they do when you have this this kind of ranking come out, do you get re reaction from either alumni or from the faculty at all? Uh, yes. And in this case, we got some pretty snooty, um, responses basically saying that some of, well, one of the responses was saying that some of these scholars that were counting against them for, for, for canceling or for otherwise punishing or threatening with punishment, um, aren't illustrious enough. Like they're not very like well-known scholars. And we're like, give me a break. Like, so your answer is snobbery on this? Like the, no, the, the, they, they, they weren't, they weren't worthy of listening to. Yeah. No, <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah. And then we got, you know, questions about, well, this methodology can't be right. And I, I had to explain this when I did a talk up in Boston. And there was a lovely uh, young woman from MIT just who just really is like, but surely it can't be that you're saying elite colleges are worse than, say, state schools. And I, I and I just I tried to get very soft and very gentle and be like, I'm, I'm sorry, but I've been doing this 22 years and you need to understand there is no question this is worse in elite colleges um, than it is in, in big state schools. Big state schools are comparatively healthy for free speech, even if they're not great. Um, the, the worst cases I see, I actually, the, the places that I'd be the most terrified to go to would be a tiny private college in, in, in the Northeast. Um, our, my, my visiting Har uh, Haverford is one of the reasons why we actually decided to do the rankings, um, to do a really intensive rigorous rankings because every time and that's a it's a tiny school outside of philadelphia 
and because ev every time a student got me alone when there wasn't some other person listening, they, they told me how horrible the environment was at that school and that everyone's afraid of saying anything even slightly wrong because they'll be a pariah and they'll never date again. Jeez. So you, here's the question about that I have about that. Bill Maher, I guess, over the weekend was said something, did a, a, a bit about how just don't go to college or at least don't go yeah. to an elite institution. Don't go anymore. I mean, are you there? Because, I mean, honestly, I, I, Harvard gets – when I can hear about this with Harvard, you know, you, uh, you know, and I, mo many people know, when it comes down to science and, and innovation and whatnot, you need to have the ability to argue and promote a, a different point of view to get to the bottom of what's real. If that's not allowed, then the stuff, the product you're putting out in terms of innovation, of technology, of medicine, of law, whatever, is garbage. And it's yeah. not going to be correct. And so it seems to me if you don't allow that to happen – then your product is tainted and nobody should want it. Yeah, let's put it this way. I eliminated the graduation requirement from uh, FIRE's hiring standards um, to make sure I was practicing what I preach. I think we need some really intensive ways for people to show that they're super smart, super hardworking, super well-read, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think you can figure out ways to do that even for free or certainly for low cost that are better markers of you being the best and brightest and hardest working than, you know, um, graduating from, yeah, even Harvard. Because here's the thing about a lot of these schools. Yeah, um, a lot of the people who go there are very smart and very hardworking. A lot of them are no better than at any school in the country. Um, it, you know what, when I, uh, actually, I think, I think of Danbury, like, like when, when I got to a place like Stanford, it was my first experience meeting what, what I would describe as a lot of decent, hardworking, rich folk. <laughs> and, and, and I was like, ah, oh, this is, this is, this is nice. But when, when they sounded a little bit too superior, I was always thinking about my friend Anthony who at the time was like, you know, like an auto mechanic. I'm like, hey, he's actually a lot smarter than you. So I think we need lower cost ways to, um, for people to show how much they've learned, how much they studied. I think we need experiments all over the place. I really think we need some, some radical movement here. I really, I really think this, this, this should be seen as an opportunity to get out of this system that, that leads us for some terrible reason to keep on recreating our American ruling class from a handful of very strange institutions. And the, what's interesting about that is that, I don't know if you heard this, but Walmart evidently, when it comes to putting people into their into their executive track positions, they've lo they've gotten rid of the, that requirement as well. Um, Good. The college, college diploma. If you start to see major corporations doing that kind of move, um, that is a big game changer for, for institutions to start, you know, going back to a meritocracy uh, and starting putting all this DEI nonsense, and a lot of it is nonsense, um, uh, in, behind us. Because it is, it is dangerous to have the ideological capture of our, of our, our institutions from the press to – I mean, I just think about medicine, and my God, I, I, you know how – that's the pandemic brought that up, how dangerous that is to have a myopic view of the world – coming with people when it comes to your, your health and your life. I mean, it's just not good. Greg, where, so people can get the book anywhere, Amazon, order it. It's uh, called Coddling, uh, excuse me, Canceling the American Mind of the American Mind. Coddling the American Mind, I recommend as well. Uh, if people want to check out FIRE and offer support for FIRE, how do they do that? Thefire.org. Thefire.org. If people need, to need help, they can, call, they can, they can reach oh, out yeah. to you. We and help that's, a lot of students and professors every year, and unfortunately business is booming. If it's uh, what if it's something in a, in a private business? 
If it's in a private business, uh, we definitely, uh, from a cancel culture perspective, can be critical of it, but it's not a First Amendment issue. Got you. Greg, thank you for your time. You're very generous. I greatly appreciate it. Best of luck with the book. Thanks. Yeah, good, 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 good hearing the name of Cranston in one of your commercials. <laughs> That's uh, friends in Cranston. Awesome. Well, next time you're in town, maybe reach out and we can. Uh, I'll meet you for a drink. I'll buy you a drink. Oh, that's great. Excellent. I like bourbon. All right, cool. Greg Lukianoff, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. Take care. All right, Greg Lukianoff, the book, Canceling of the American Mind. Afford Anything is a podcast that teaches you how to be smart with your money. As a small business, you don't have the resources to pay the level of overhead and for the level of services that a Fortune 500 company could afford. So I certainly understand why, if you want to offer benefits, the providers of that, that that fee is going to be higher because there's more account management per employee. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen.